Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. All right, everyone, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke. I'm here with Ben Hardman, co-founder of Gravity Leadership, and your co-host for today. Yes, it's a double Ben day, which is always the best day. The double Ben day, yep. Um, we'll forego all the jokes about which one is the other Ben, uh, because yep. uh, I think we've done that before. We've done that I think we've probably but, done the double Ben day also. We just, yeah, probably. Yeah, we don't have a lot just, of new material nope, when it's just nope. the two of us. We just go back to the, uh, the oldies, uh, but the goodies. Um, yeah, we're eager to bring this uh, interview. Um, ben and I did this interview with Todd Bolsinger. Months ago, wasn't it? Was it? Way, it was back in the day. It, it was, was way, way back, back in the, in the day. day. So a lot like, of the a lot of the series that we're doing on leadership right now um, was recorded a long time ago, and for some reason, uh, we just never have gotten around to releasing these until now. But uh, Todd, it's a really is, good one though. Todd is great. This is a, yeah, Todd is so uh, good on some of this stuff. Um, his his book Canoeing the Mountains is primarily what we talk about here in relationship to. I think when we recorded this, COVID had just hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pandemic had just hit. Everybody was still f- freaking out. I mean, not that we're unlike not, unlike the, unlike, unlike now. Unlike now, when everybody's fine, when everybody's settled down and fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but you know, I think the the difference was back then uh, we were still just like, what is going on, and what is happening, yeah. and what do how do we lead our churches, and we're exhausted, and what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And so I uh, my mind went back to canoeing the mountains because um, his book is all about. Adaptive leadership. It's all about yeah. um, leading in uncharted territory. And he uses uh, the, the brilliant metaphor of Lewis and Clark um, when they were taking their expedition um, out west, hitting the Rocky Mountains. They were not anticipating mountains. They thought they were going to take a river to the Pacific Ocean. And um, they hit the mountains and had Oops. to figure out what to do. Oops. Yep. So sort of like it's the church. Really, it's really a great read. Uh, yeah. I think that was probably my favorite read uh, of the last year. It's just so good. And he's yeah. written a new book that's coming out soon. So we got to yep. get him back on the podcast to talk about his yes. new book. It's yeah. Tempered Resilience, yep. yeah. uh, which is also a really important topic. Yep. He talks a little bit about it, I think, in this interview, if I remember yeah. correctly. I think it was getting yeah. ready to be released. Um, it re- it uh, actually just released in November. So Tempered Resilience, so, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change, which is uh, taking maybe one of one of the concepts that he uh, talks about in um, Canoeing the Mountains and kind of uh, double clicks on it or zooms in on it. Yeah, so, highly yeah. recommend the book. So yep. Ronald Heifetz is like oh, yeah. the founder of Adaptive Leadership, which mm-hmm. is a lot of where Todd's uh, material comes from, this, pro- this idea of kind of adaptive leadership versus technical leadership. Right. My favorite Heifetz quote... <laughs> My favorite Heifetz quote is this, leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. (laughs) There's so much about that that messes with me. I love it. I love it. First of all, I hate disappointing people. Me too. Second of all, if I'm going to do it, I want to rip the Band-Aid off and go fast. I want to disappoint you all at once and then we can, but it's, it's, it's slow disappointment. (laughs) Anyway. Disappointing people slowly over time. Yes. 2020. Uh, Yes, 2020. Well, listen to the interview. If that quote confuses you and you're like, wait, 
I thought I was supposed to help people. Um, you need to listen to Todd uh, and what he has to say and, and pick up the book. Um, yes, it's great. Uh, more needed than ever um, now for our churches who, just like the Lewis and Clark expedition, we were expecting to be able to kind of ride uh, church services and just the way that things normally worked all the way to the Pacific Ocean. But we Those hit were the, our canoes. We hit Those the pandemic canoes, mountains. And we hit the pandemic mountains. And now <laughs> and we we're are still in it. We're still dealing with trying it. Trying to carry our church services through the pandemic. Yeah. On yeah. our backs. Yep. So, um, so yeah, the interview is great. Um, something else we're doing uh, during December that I'm excited about is we are doing a, a whole series of book giveaways. Um, and there's one uh, linked in the show notes if you want to see what we're giving away right now. But uh, about two a week. Uh, we just have these uh, books, uh, extra books that deal two with Two bundles a or, week or two books a week? Two bundles a week. These are yeah, bundles of like different. six books. It's not just like you get one book. You just, like you yeah, get you get like six you get books. You get a bundle so of books. You get a bundle. Um, and so if you just, all you need to do is sign up for our email list. Um, and then there's other ways you can enter by sharing a tweet or following us on Twitter or, you know, those kinds of things. So, um, if you do that, um, then you'll be entered into the contest and you'll have a chance to win, uh, one of these book bundles. And so we've got like, we give, we've already given away, uh, two of them, I think. And as of this podcast releasing, we will have at least two more, probably probably four more before Christmas. Maybe we'll just go into Christmas. So you can so spend jump some in and Christmas get some free money. books from us. Yeah. Yeah. We've got and free they books. They just have to sign up for a link. Is that what, how, how does that work? Yeah. Ben? Yeah. They, uh, they just, they, you'll, uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but basically you just like put in your email address and you'll be part of our online community. And then, um, and then you can get more entries if you share, share the book giveaway on Twitter and that kind of thing. So that's awesome. I get a to, lot of people that say to me like, Hey, Mm-hmm. Stop making me buy books because you mm-hmm. interview these people. Oh, and right. That's so good that I then buy right. a book and you're making my book list huge. Right. So I've you're got making... this stack of books because right. there's been yeah. so many good folks on the podcast. So we're helping you out. So you can't complain yeah, we're about helping that you out. You, yeah. You don't have to buy them. And these yeah. books, oftentimes these authors have been on the podcast. So, um, so I think the first book uh, giveaway we did, four out of the six books are, were authors that have been on our podcast. So mm-hmm. so anyway, it's fun. It's, uh, you know, blessed Advent, happy Christmas kind of uh, um, present for y'all. Yeah. So. Lots of Stephen King and uh, <laughs> James Patterson books. Yeah, pretty much. David Baldacci, I uh-huh. think is, is pretty much the lineup, isn't know, it? I only know one of those authors. I don't know who those people it's, are. It's so. just trying to throw out right. fiction paperback writers. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, they're, they're ministry, to be clear, they're ministry and theology books, um, stuff that's been helpful for us, stuff that uh, our audience has found helpful. So anyway, sign up for it, uh, let your friends know about it, um, and it helps, kind of all helps us uh, do what we do here at Gravity. So appreciate your participation in it. I think that's it, Ben. Yeah. Anything else to announce before we go? No, this is a great interview. Let's jump in. All right, here we go. All right. Todd Bolsinger, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Nice to be with you, Ben. Really is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to talk with you. I um, We were just talking uh, before we hit record here about, uh, I came into contact with your book. I can't remember if somebody recommended it to me, but mm-hmm. we do, there's so much overlap, Todd, in the work that you've done with adaptive leadership and kind of taking that into the church and all the... Mm-hmm consulting you've done and the work in your own church, which you tell some of the story in Canoeing the Mountains. Um, 
Um, so anyway, so there's just tons of overlap in our training process um, and kind of what you talk about in this book about adaptive leadership. So anyway, I'm excited to be able to talk with you uh, because there's just I feel a lot of resonance with the work that you've done and uh, the, the concepts that you kind of bring into uh, the leadership conversation. So uh, but for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, why don't you just give us a little introduction to yourself? Who are you? What do you spend your time doing, etc.? Yeah, man. So um, uh, I'm the vice president and chief of leadership formation at Fuller Seminary. Um, so I'm on the senior administration. I'm an associate professor of leadership formation. So I mostly teach this stuff. I teach uh, a doctor of ministry and leading change. And I teach mm -hmm. um, one class in our master's program on formation. And um, basically, I live at the intersection of spiritual formation and leadership. And particularly um, yeah. how to form Christian leaders in a rapidly changing world. So yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. I do. Would would a pandemic qualify as a uh, <laughs> rapid change? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Like, so those who've read Premium in the Mountains read that the big change I was talking about was the change from a Christendom to a post-Christendom world. That has been right. a really rapid change. It's taken about a generation, about forty yeah. years or so, over the last forty years, which was after about a seventeen hundred year, you know, status yeah. quo in the yeah. West. So now the pandemic has changed that too. So that in about. 40 hours. <laughs> yeah. The world changed totally. over, like literally overnight. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I actually yeah. had the had experience in March of getting off a plane coming back from a speaking in Sioux, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And by the time I literally landed in Los Angeles, I had 15 speaking engagements canceled. We had closed our school uh, for the fall. Uh, I mean, all uh, for the spring, yeah. we went yeah. completely online. I was revamping a team of 60 people to work remotely. Like it just like it changed literally like while I was in the air, like yeah. <laughs> so. there's it, been just a was few adaptive leadership challenges over the, over the past few months. <sighs> yeah. Just a bit, just a bit. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so if, you know, if post Christendom hadn't caught up to you yet, mm -hmm. it's like ev it, everybody has to deal with this now. Like every yeah. pastor, every Christian leader mm -hmm. is forced to deal with, um, the fact that we don't, we're off the map here. We're in uncharted yeah. territory as your book talks about. We, we don't know what to do. We have no expertise. Mm -hmm. We have no history to say, I wonder what we did, you know, during the pandemic of, you know, Exactly. 1942, you know, uh, we have mm -hmm. to go all the way back to 1918. Um, and, you know, it's a completely yeah. different world. Mm -hmm. um, there's no, we don't know how to, we don't know how to navigate it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. so anyways, so we're forced into what, what Hardman said there was that we're forced into this adaptive, this need to move from merely having technical expertise, technical leadership to adaptive leadership. Can you just outline what the difference is between those two uh, types yeah. of leadership? Yeah, so this is this comes from some the work of some folks at Harvard named uh, Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky that has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, what uh, Heifetz and Linsky pick up is technical leadership is really leadership by experts. It's it's where you have expertise, and and it's really important. It's not trivial. It's not simple. I mean, heart yeah. bypasses are technical leadership, right? The yeah. the 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 ability to um, run massive. Um, scientific tests on pandemic. That's technical leadership. Like right. so, I always say that every time I get on a plane, I'm I'm wanting somebody who's really good at technical leadership being the pilot. So uh, yeah, yeah. So but and for most of us in say the church world, which is the world that I've been in, technical leadership meant we have the capacity to deal with both traditions and souls. We have the ability mm -hmm. to handle people and to be faithful to our to uh, holy texts. Um, okay. We so there's a lots of technical expertise that's really important. As a matter of fact, technical leadership is what builds trust. 
Okay. Adap- adaptive leadership is when you step into a moment when you need to maintain trust because you have to keep going and you have no expertise. Yes. And so, we're and used I, to building trust through expertise. Exactly. And so this feels like a crisis for leaders. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, so what we have now is the history of our competence and our congruence and integrity as leaders and the capacity to take people on a journey where they have to learn as they go and they're going to continually experience loss. Ugh. So adaptive leadership lives yeah. at that moment, in that place. It is where you literally mm-hmm. have to stand before a group of people and say, I don't have the answer, and yet we are going to keep going, mm. and this is going to be painful. Wow. So yeah. important, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, So you see this like dur- you know, during the pandemic, you know, um, how many people started with how fast can we get back to normal? Yes. How, how can we hunker down and get through this? How can we, mm. you know, how how can we just, you know, give a little more and tighten our belts and, you know, uh, figure out how to how to put our services on Facebook Live? Like all these things everybody did. There's nothing nothing at all. I'm cr- not critical at all. Everybody has to do that. Yes. But as as the days turned into weeks, it turned into months. You start realizing actually the world is changing, changing dramatically. It may be changed for good. There'll be businesses yeah. that will go out of business there are churches yeah. who are not going to make it there are yeah. i'm in higher education higher education yeah. has been radically disrupted i mean mm. so now we have to ask ourselves how do we lead through that and there isn't an expert if anybody shows up and says i have the answer they're lying right. because yes. nobody has had been through this in our lifetime yeah. nobody's been through this in a hundred years yeah and yeah and i, I think I, one of the big challenges for us in that is is our, not only is that hard for us as leaders, but it's hard for our people as well. They, oh. they want us to be the expert. And so yeah. not only is it hard for leaders to say, I don't know the answers right now, but we're going to keep moving through it and we're going to discover it together. And for the leader to be the learner in the room. But I, what I'm learning is that my people want me to be the expert too. They mm-hmm. oftentimes, they, they just want me to give them the answer. Right. They, they just have, you know, just go this way. Just, yeah. Yeah. just say, here's the three ways to solve this problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I say this um, and I work at a seminary and every single person who comes to a seminary is coming to get a master's degree. Like they're going right. to master right. something. Right. Yeah. And they came to seminary because someone in their life told them, you know, you're like the best Christian I know. You should go pro. And and so, so they think of themselves and we all set this up that the people who come out of seminaries are now the masters who are going to help us master the problem. So to stand in front of a group of people and say that we don't have an answer, but we're going to keep going because we have a mission in front of us that is more important than our ego at this moment is really hard. And it, Mm -hmm. and it's why I talk to past when I coach and when I consult, I say the biggest challenge for most leaders is to overcome the expectations expectation like you've got to yeah. you've got to literally overcome that expectation in order to lead yeah would that yeah. be part of the when you're talking about loss todd would that be part of what you're talking about when you talk about there there is a there's a loss in the middle of this it, it, yeah. could you expand further on kind of what that loss feels like and what that loss looks like well, the way to think about this is, is everybody's experiencing loss, right? So for the leader, it's the loss of expertise, the loss of mm-hmm. credibility. I mean, my favorite quote on leadership from Ronald Heifetz is that leadership is disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. 
And so, you know, for most of us who are Christian leaders, I mean, literally, we didn't get into this business to disappoint people. We got into this because we love God and we love people and we want to introduce them to each other and that we believe that is life and life abundant. So to say that what we're going to do is disappoint them is really hard. But the hardest phrase is the phrase, your own people. Yeah, It's one thing for me to disappoint people who don't understand what I'm doing, to disappoint the government or the powers yeah. that be or the culture. It's another thing to disappoint my own people, the people who called me and asked me to lead them. And there's mm-hmm. a sense of loss there. There's also a sense of loss from our people because there's almost no way forward in adaptive change without literally having to figure out what you're going to leave behind. Um, mm-hmm. The book... The book Canoeing the Mountains is literally about, you know, Lewis and Clark that were water experts, river guides who ran into mountains. And the question is, how do you canoe over mountains? And the answer is, you don't. Yeah, you leave the canoes behind. You leave the canoes. And imagine if you're the person who came on this trip because you're the expert river navigator. Yeah. You are the, and they were, they were so good at running rivers. They were better than the Native American tribes. Mm-hmm. So when there's actually a whole story that when they were going down some rapids in the Columbia River, how the tribes would come out and line the banks because they went, oh, we know what happens. These guys are going to fall over, drown, and we're going to get all their stuff. And they ran those rapids. They were great at that. Mm-hmm. But they were lost when they hit the mountains. They'd never seen they had no They had no mental model of Rocky Mountains. Their only mental model of mountains in their mind were the Shenandoah Mountains. Right. So they had no idea that mountains could be so big, so broad, so rugged. I mean, so tall. I mean, it was, Mm. it it felt impassable and they had to pass through it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so part of this is um, building trust. Leaders are used to building trust by sort of being an expert. I went to, I I have a master's in divinity. I have mastered divinity. (laughs) It's like a superhero. Master's of divinity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I've mastered divinity. So what would you say to leaders who they're they're encountering this this moment? And here we're, you know, this is probably going to air in the fall. Um, And so even now, as we're recording this, churches are beginning to try to think about how do we like, how do we get back to normal? And how do we, you know, um, which is probably not a a good thing to be trying to do. Uh, But, you know, what's the new normal going to be? You know, that kind of a thing. So what would you say to leaders who are they, they're experiencing this fear that I, do, I don't, if I, if I tell people I don't know, if I try to lead from a place of learning, I'm going to lose trust. Like, how do, how do I actually build trust when I don't know what I'm doing? Yeah, so this is the huge paradox of the whole thing. Um, if you are, um, I always say to people, if you're trustworthy on the map, then mm. you'll have that as um, a resource off the map. Mm. So remember the things that you need to do every day, you still need to keep doing every day. You've got to mm. still care for people and handle the scriptures well and run good meetings and uh, make sure that your children's ministry is safe and you know all those things. Like everything that you do on the map, you have to keep doing. So this is what makes it so challenging is you now have to add another skill set. Yeah. And this other skill set requires you to actually now inverse the thing that that got you there. You have to actually lead with vulnerability. Mm. And this is a very important point because so um so the I followed up canoeing the mountains by writing a book on resilience because what I found is when I was going and speaking in places and talking to pastors the line I got back from them all the time was um I think I could learn how to lead change. I'm not sure I can survive it. 
Like it's really hard and, and people are really mad and they're disappointed and I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this. Mm -hmm. And so the book that is, that I'm, that is coming out this fall um, called tempered resilience is a book that is about the formation process for developing the resilience to lead change. And that Mm -hmm. starts actually in a grounded identity that is grounded in something bigger than your success that enables you to be vulnerable. And that is yeah. hugely difficult. But once you hit, get it, you start realizing that everything begins to work around that. So it's a kind yeah. of vulnerability and consistency that is that is both and. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. So what you're leaving behind, the canoes you're leaving behind, you're not leaving behind your expertise. You're not Mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to become dumb at these things. What you're leaving behind is the... Uh, the way that you have used that to kind of build trust yeah. and yeah. you're learning a new way to build trust through vulnerability. Yeah. Um, and which requires, this is the, this is where the spiritual formation part of it comes in. This is why, this is why I like your stuff so much, Todd. This is mm-hmm. like, you're speaking our language here. Mm-hmm. So this is where the, the, the formation part comes in, right? Is I have to grapple with like, Oh, maybe my resistance to being vulnerable is rooted in the fact that I've staked some of my identity and some of my value on being successful. And yeah. now when that's not guaranteed, it's really difficult to know, you know, how to lead. And so there's a, there's a formation for the leader. And that, that's a big part of adaptive leadership, I think, that yeah. I've found very uh, compelling is that we're, we're being, I think you say this in the book, and I don't know if this mm-hmm. is a high quote, but like the most transformed person is the leader. At the yeah, end of the yeah, process, yeah. Ultimately, yeah. everybody will be changed. Is starting with the leaders. That's the, so. So, yeah. One of the most difficult parts about adaptive leadership is that it requires transformation. Literally, it, mm. um, one of the principles is everybody will be changed, starting with the leader. Yeah. And if you think about this, especially for leaders, you know, if you've been successful on the map, think about leading a group of people upstream, like upstream is hard work. So yeah. again, on the map stuff is hard work. Do, being a pastor of a church, leading a nonprofit organization, those are hard things to do anyway. Yeah. But if your basic rule has been to inspire people to paddle harder <laughs> than to get to the place where there's no water, it's yeah. re- if you tell people to paddle harder, it is the wrong thing to do. So what you literally have to do is mm. stop what you're doing, reflect upon your new environment, and begin to learn about the environment so that you can give new responses. And that learning mm. is is at the top of what everybody has to do. And there's a vulnerability to that kind of learning. Yeah, and if, there's such a huge discipleship piece in this, Todd, because it feels like self-aware leaders and leaders who are able to like evaluate their own motives and motivation and see what's going on and name what's mm-hmm. happening beneath the surface of their own life are then also able to help navigate and lead other people to do the same in their life. 
Yeah. And so oftentimes when we, when we only deal with the technical leadership, which is like, hey, four ways to have a better marriage, three tricks to, well, I guess not tricks, three mm-hmm. things to raise successful kids or whatever those things are, we, we miss the ability of how we actually train others to examine what's going on inside of them and to name that and, and, and deal with what's real. Yeah. So it, it's um, one of the things I talk about is um, there is this notion that if you can't stand the heat, you should stay out of the kitchen. That leadership is really hot. The leadership is really hard. You're in the fire. You're in the crucible. The answer, though, to, that I want to tell people is um, leadership itself is not hot enough. Um, what you actually have to do mm-hmm. is add more heat to the leadership experience and the heat of being of deep, vulnerable self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got to add more capacity, self-reflection to yourself, which makes you feel more vulnerable because that's the only way you'll actually be able to be transformed. And that vulnerability is really at the core of experience of leading adaptive change. And it's the reason why when people get into an adaptive process, you know, Ed Friedman talks about the failure of nerve is the, is the struggle. The failure of nerve means it's when you get to the place where you go, okay, I would rather collude with the people who don't want to go forward and have them accept <laughs> me. And for us, I'll, I'll become the chaplain of the status quo rather yes. than lead them through the change. And and I say that seems so diminishing to be the chaplain of the status quo, but how it shows up is like, I love these people. And if they're not going to go forward, I'm going to die with them here in the wilderness. Okay. Yes. But what that is, they don't want to be in the wilderness. They actually want to go back to Egypt. Right. So are you going to lead them back to Egypt and back to slavery? That's what they're asking for. And if you don't believe me, you can just look at Exodus because that's what they asked for in Exodus. (laughs) Right. Right? So, yeah, they killed our children. Right. They killed our children, but we had a great lunch. So let's go back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. That, that vulnerability. So part of that vulnerability is, is, is a personal uh, self-reflection being open to kind of being changed. Um, and it's it's the necessity of learning as you go. I think I think most of us as leaders are used to knowing and then leading, yeah. like sort of having some confidence that okay, here's I know what to do, and now I'm going to deliver that. That's you know what you said, technical yeah. leadership. Um, and so, but learning as we go is is I, I think one of the things that uh, has struck me is that it just narrows the gap between like what I know. And yeah. like when it's time to like call everybody into it. And it's oftentimes minutes, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, actually, you know, or actually you're calling people in to learn with you. Right. Learn, so, yeah, so, I don't, um, I, yeah, yeah, I have a little book called leadership in a time of pandemic that is out that, um, that is really about the spiritual practices of going from learning to what we call looking and listening. Like both mm. of those, you're both mm. listening deeply to people. You're attuning to them. You're listening to God. You're attuning to the sense of what the Spirit is calling you to do. But you're also looking at the system and the structures. You get it's what you're doing. What Heifetz calls getting on the balcony, and you're realizing that one of the things you're doing in a leadership process is you're looking at your people and you're looking at the context and you're asking, how do our core values and how do our how does our charism, our gift as a people offer something to the people in pain at this moment. Hmm. It's not to become something you're not. It is to actually say, what is our deepest values? So I I think that what adaptive Hmm. leadership draws on is you move forward by reaffirming your deepest values. So, Hmm. So for Meriwether Lewis, his deepest value wasn't finding an economic water route, even though Thomas Jefferson sent him to do that. Yeah. He, was a, he was a man of the enlightenment. He'd been trained by Jefferson. His deepest value was learning. 
He believed mm. that the growth of human knowledge would lead to the growth of human happiness. Mm. So when he proceeded on, it was uh, the, this, this mission of finding a water route across the country failed, but our learning will continue. Yeah. So that, so the question we get to ask ourselves is what's our deepest value? Is it having big groups of people who are members of our church? Is it having yeah. big coffers? Is it having, um, big worship attendance, or is it yeah. instead uh, the profound, deep discipleship of people who will participate in God's mission to redeem and restore the world? And and maybe there's whole other ways we can do that than the way we've been doing it for the last 1,700 years. Yeah, yeah. which is, I think that's so that's important, important, Todd, because uh, I think that uh, that's inspiring. That's you know what I mean? If I if I'm in a church where, you know, that's the that's the message that I'm hearing, that we're actually reaching for our deepest values here, that then actually the the crisis of a pandemic or post Christendom, which can feel you know uh, devastating. And you know, obviously, I'm not saying that it's not devastating. Like there are real losses here, you know, yeah. that that all of us are experiencing. But it can also be an opportunity for us to get some clarity about. Oh, have our have our deepest values been buried under something mm-hmm. that was easier to accomplish yep. in a, in another world in another time? Yeah, um, yeah, and how do we get back to those things? So there's an yep. opportunity in yep. front of us. Yeah, I had this um, I had this experience. So at the school, um, you know, higher education, seminary education is in is in free fall, right? It's a time of complete mm. disruption. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we did at Fuller is we started asking ourselves the question, what is it that we have as a gift to the church? And we've always had our capacity to form leaders and our research. So what if we figured out ways to give that directly to the church, even to people who don't want to be students, right? So you can. So we still have students. We still have our graduate division, and we give out degrees, and I've got two of them. But we also <laughs> are trying to figure out how we could serve what we call learners, just people who for the lifetime, leaders in the life of the church directly. And so we've started asking ourselves, if people don't need initials after their name and they can't take on the debt of a degree, how could we serve them? Well, that's a Mm. radical disruption for a seminary that has been built on a higher education model. So when I first started, um, I had a trustee invite me to meet with a bunch of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs because he said, you're doing a startup. And when I gave them my pitch about what I was doing, they laughed at me because they said, your entire pitch is why this would be good for the seminary. The hmm. way you frame this problem is it would, it'll save theological education. It'll be good for your institution. A guy looked at me and said, Todd, nobody cares what's good for your organization. <laughs> All they care about is whether your organization is good for them. So yeah. go back out and talk to people and find out where their pain is and try to serve that. And then he looks at me, this is my favorite part of the whole thing. He goes, it's a little bit like Jesus said when he talked about like loving your neighbor. I thought <laughs> when, when, the, when the venture capitalist is giving the theology professor a Bible lesson, it's a bad day for the theology right, professor. Right, right. <laughs> and Touché. That's, Touché. that's exactly where I was, right? Yeah. Because we focus on our organizational or institutional survival, not what we have to give to our neighbor. Mm. Which is at the, I mean, Jesus's call to love your neighbor was the most disruptive thing about Christianity in Judaism, right? It's not just mm. love God; it is also love your neighbor, and the two are like each other. Yeah, that's massively disruptive, and we're still two thousand years later trying to figure out how to embody that. Yeah, 
Yeah, and there's something deeply beautiful about being a part of a community that is co-discerning things together, that is mutually submitting to one another, where, and I feel like we work with so many pastors who are just so overwhelmed because all the weight of leadership exists on their shoulders and this weight of being the expert ends up pulling them down and there's Mm -hmm. this battle. Um, So could you share just a little bit, like when there is a community that is together adaptively leading and adaptively learning, what does that do for the community? How, How does that look different from a community where the pastor is the expert in all things yeah. And there's kind of this hierarchical chart that ba- that leads to the pastor uh, and there's burnout and there's mm-hmm. fatigue and all of those kinds of things. How are cultures shaped when when we begin to kind of explore adaptive leadership rather mm-hmm. than technical leadership? So one of the key tenets of tempered resilience is not is that you start in reflection. The reflection is like the fire, um, but that the vulnerability of leadership requires the security of relationships that they in the analogy i use is a blacksmith analogy if you take steel and you want to shape it into a chisel into something that would be a good tool then you need to put it into the fire until it gets molten i mean literally till it's almost like liquid that's that fire is reflection but when you pull it out of the fire you don't just start shaping it you put it on an anvil and you want the heaviest anvil to hold that molten reflective, oozy, vulnerable leader, right? And so what we need is thick sets of relationships. We need Mm. partners. We need mentors. We need friends. We need all of them. And the biggest problem that I see with most leaders I know is that even when we talk about community, we default to individual responsibility. And so Mm. I will remind people all the time, remember Lewis and Clark are known as Lewis and Clark. Like it's, they're a partnership and they were a partnership that defied the United States Congress in order to have their partnership, right? The par- Congress told them, no, one guy should be in charge, Meriwether Lewis. Lewis said, no, two of us will be in charge. And even wow. though, and we will not tell the men that Congress didn't commission Clark as a captain. And for three years, they lived as a partnership. And mm. then they actually even added like the voice of Sacagawea, a Native American teenage nursing mother you know, some, we know her as Sacagawea from 11th grade a history class, right, but, right, right. but really her name was probably Sacagawea. I like to give her back mm-hmm. her name. Mm-hmm. They had the capacity to listen to her because they needed her expertise. Yeah. They, so this notion of thinking much more communally and much more relationally is at the heart of adaptive leadership. Um, mm-hmm. I, I always say to people, if I was a bishop, I'm not from a tradition of a bishop, but I spend a lot of my time these days with bishops, and they laugh at me when I say this. If I was a bishop and I could get away with saying anything, I would tell everybody who works, who is one of my charges, if you try to lead anything without a therapist, a mentor, or a spiritual director, I'm going to consider that clergy malpractice. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife's a therapist, and she one yeah. time said to me, she said, Todd, I have 15 clients, and if I make a mistake and I'm not under supervision, the state of California will hold me more liable. You have 1,500 members in your church, and nobody yeah. asks you anything. Yeah. And so the notion that we can lead through this kind of painful, adaptive leadership by ourselves is the most foolhardy thing of all. Yeah. So it requires relationships. It requires partners, it requires mentors, it requires friends, and all three of those, and they're not all the same people. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I did, I, I'm planting a church, an Anglican church. So, um, I've got, we've got bishops. Mm-hmm. I should bring you yeah. in to yeah. talk to some of them. I've got a great bishop, uh, yeah. who has, a, who I think has a therapist. Yeah. We'll yeah. See. There you go. We'll, we'll still let Todd see that. Yeah. 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 It's good. Um, uh, wh- one more thing as we kind of maybe, uh, bring this to a close. I know, um, I know a lot of our, I know a lot of leaders, a lot of our coaching, there's a lot of leaders who, when they're trying to, they usually come to us because they know something needs to change, right? So that that's why they're willing to kind of do some work and that kind of thing. They're like, something needs to change here in my church. Um, and one of the things uh, in your book, in your Canoeing the Mountains book that I found really uh, helpful was the idea of birthing something new as a way to ch- change the DNA rather than, because I think the the metaphors that we think about a lot are... Metaphors like, how do I get people to blank? And we think about them as a monolith. We're trying to get every individual to change their mind about this idea. And so we, you know, we do a sermon series and we try to, we try to get everybody on board. Um, what's, talk a little bit about what you mean by birthing something new as a way of kind of uh, changing the DNA of a, of a yeah. culture. Yeah. So, so at the core of adaptive leadership are safe, modest, aligned experiments so mm-hmm. we're doing it we're doing experiments they're safe as a matter of fact they can't they can't um risk the entire institution they have to be right. modest they've got to be they got to start humbly they're got to be like okay. what they consider prototypes in you know mm-hmm. minimum viable products but they have to be aligned with our values they can't be okay. what we're not right right but they are experiments and the goal of an experiment is not to say did it work the goal mm. of the experiment is to say what did we learn yes and so when an experiment, when a new thing is about learning, then the institution or the or, or organization has the opportunity to say, what are we going to do with that learning? Are we going to invest more in it? Are we going to take it into our organization and change? Are we going to use it to adapt? Or are we going we to give it away to someone else because we don't have the capacity? Hmm. Like, like, so what is the learning? And that process of experimenting, of creating um, transformation teams who do works of experiment is really a way of energizing. It's part of the work I do with a group called Fresh Expressions where they um, kept yeah. that came out of the UK where they talk about using fresh expressions of leadership of church to basically energize the inherited model. And mm. um, it's in most of the research and the work I do on uncharted territory, it's really helping tee people up with the formation capacity to do safe, modest, aligned experiments. Safe, modest, aligned experiments. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's a great, I think it's a great way of thinking about it because um, I think what prevents us oftentimes as leaders from doing these kinds of experiments is the fear that it's not going to work. Yeah. But if you change your paradigm and say, well, that's not about what, that's not an experiment. We can't fail. Because if we do the experiment, we're going to learn something. And that's yeah. the point of the experiment. So yeah, 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 fail. yeah, yeah. The, the, the answer of failure, the biggest issue of failure is to spend a lot of time, energy, and money on what we know won't work. <laughs> so like I said, it's like, so, so I know soon there's going to come a day when we're going to get to get to worship in, uh, in sanctuaries again. I'm thrilled. Yeah. I look forward to that day. I want to pass sure. the peace. I want to be yeah. with my brothers and sisters. Yes. But if we think that the answer to the future is to go back to large gatherings of people that were already failing, yeah. if the future is to go back to a failing strategy, yeah. that's failure. Yeah. If instead we use this opportunity to experiment with some new ways forward, 
Um, I mean, the millennial generation is leaving the church at a rate of a million people a year. So I don't think the answer is to go back to what was not working for them. (laughs) Right. Right. So, so I think there's something about learning about thinking about experiments as learning and that failure is simply a way of learning. Yeah. And then we can integrate that learning. It's not, it's not like, oh, we're never, we're going to never have church gatherings again or that they're bad. It's just. Uh, what are they for, and how do they integrate with our whole ministry? It's it's all this stuff about learning to go down to our deeper, uh, our deepest values, which is not yeah. let's have a worship service on Sunday morning with a bunch of people in the room. Like yeah. that, that's not the deepest value of any church, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. I think. Can I just say one thing for folks if they want to follow up this? Um, So I do a bunch of work on uh, leading in uncharted territory. And here's a simple Mm -hmm. way to get a bunch of resources. And a lot of these things are just free. It's just if you just text the word uncharted, U-N-C-H-A-R-T-E-D, uncharted, to 66866. 66866. Yeah, way too many sixes for a pastor in a row. Thank God there's an eight in the middle. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But uncharted six six eight six six. It goes right to a place where we curate a bunch of this material, so that you can, anybody who wants to come follow up in these threads. There's everything from group work to church work to individual work to articles to podcasts and stuff. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, we've been talking mostly about canoeing the mountains, which uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've also got uh, an ebook. Uh, remind us what the name of the yeah, book is. The ebook is Leadership in Time of Pandemic. Um, it, it's out. And then a brand new book called Tempered Resilience. Um, Tempered Resilience. We how, will leader, put- how leaders are formed in the crucible of change. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to pick that one up as well. And we will put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks. Um, Todd, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Uh, this has been really helpful. Um, and uh, hope we can do some more conversing, uh, discussing, yeah. and maybe even working together in the future. It's really well done. Yeah. I would enjoy it. I would enjoy it, guys. Thanks. All right. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.